0: tell you about our journey through the management of HIV-infected children, especially HIV-infected infants, in our pediatric ICU uh, in Pretoria. All right, so there are a couple of uh, patient profiles that we manage in our pediatric intensive care related to HIV infection, and I, I really just want to take you through a snapshot of some of the important ones. The, the first important one, and that those I've highlighted in yellow here, I'm just going to touch on two of the other conditions. I'm really interested in telling you about the management of pneumocystis pneumonia, the syndrome syndrome that we've titled a syndrome in the pediatric ICU, because this is where we have most of our experience. I'll also give you a few words on the management of HIV-related ordinary pneumonia and bronchiolitis in the ICU. Just a slide of of each of those. But really, I want to tell you how we started our journey looking after children who had pneumocystis gerovici pneumonia, a particularly severe form of acute pneumonia in young children. And so what we've really come to understand about this condition over many years of exploration and discovery is that, in fact, pneumocystis pneumonia is not a pneumonia of one organism. This is really a syndrome of a number of different organisms operating together in an immune deficient host with a setup of many other associated phenomena which I'll show you that require management. Uh, And it's because of our understanding of this condition as a syndrome and the management of the complexity of this illness that we've managed to change the outcome from this condition. Those of you who know pneumocystis pneumonia uh, will know that if untreated, this carries an almost 100% case fatality rate. This is a very severe a particularly severe form of acute pneumonia in young children. So the diagnosis of pneumocystis again remains a challenge for us because only recently have we had access to um, lavage fluids, non-bronchoscopic lavage fluids uh, for PCR for pneumocystis gerovicchia, but uh, until recently the diagnosis has remained a clinical one. And so we use a number of criteria to make the diagnosis of this condition. Remember, this is truly a disease of young infants. The mean age of children in our study was about 3.7 months, with a very tight range around that. And a very interesting phenomenon that we may be able to talk about in question time is why we don't see pneumocystis in older children, even older uh, HIV-infected children. They see it again in adults, but we don't see this condition other than in acute infancy. So maybe this relates to immunity or some other process we don't fully understand. And so we make the diagnosis when you have a reticular uh, or interstitial pattern on a chest x-ray with a relatively silent chest, severe hypoxia, and sometimes we add an LDH above 500 international units to the mix, and we come up with a diagnosis of this condition. It's only recently, as I say, that we've started uh, measuring uh, pneumocystis geroviki PCR in in, uh, secretions. So the first important point about this uh, condition that we've uncovered in terms of the syndromic nature of it is that you find other organisms associated with this condition. There are other associated bacterial co-infections that occur, not not, uh, in every child, but certainly in some children, bacterial co-infection occurs. We weren't able to document, however, that the bacterial load or the organisms, the bacterial organisms present either in blood or in the airway secretions on admission. And so remember, on admission, the airway secretions may have meaning. Uh, Using airway secretions later on in an ICU stay, as you all know, is of very little value. But on admission, there's no difference between survivors or non-survivors in terms of which bugs they had. But just to remind you, and I know that Prakash has uh, also been interested in this, is that we tend to have some of the unusual uh, gram-negative organisms or more resistant organisms even on admission to ICU in these children. And so there's really no difference in the bacterial load, but of course bacterial co-infection is part of the syndrome in this condition. And it's also interesting, we're going to have a talk after mine on viral load uh, in ICU, and it remains an important entity in very sick children in the ICU, but in fact viral co-infection in these children, although part of the syndrome in some children, there are associated viruses, the usual respiratory viruses, Uh, They're not terribly common, don't make up a big portion of the patients who have viral uh, co-associations. So when we managed, when we started to manage um, pneumocystis pneumonia, when I started working at Steve Beaker Hospital some years ago, These children had no access to intensive care. They were admitted to the ward because they were severely hypoxic. They were left to die, and the case fatality rate was almost 100%, as I said. But we started admitting these children to intensive care and started investigating the strategies that have led to the success that we've had. And what really is required uh, in these children is a full commitment to the extent of your resources in the ICU. And what we've been able to do is show that many strategies work. I haven't shown you on any of the slides, and I meant to mention this in the last session in the discussion, is one of the significant drops in our mortality occurred at the time we started to limit the maintenance fluid that we gave these children. Because ARDS is a significant component of this condition, when we started to limit the fluid maintenance fluids to 60 mls per kilo per day, we had a dramatic improvement in our, in our mortality. So I think that's part of it. But of course, these children have to be managed as if ARDS is a major component of their lung disease and they often require a PEEP of more than 10. Sometimes we take the PEEP up to 15 in these children, and very frequently we do. I must tell you it's very difficult convincing our registrars that this is the strategy for management of this condition. And the other important thing I just wanted to say to you is that we have not oscillated a single child with this condition. Now, I know that this has, become, has been controversial, but I'll show you what we've been able to achieve despite that. So all of these children get management of the syndrome. They get antibiotics, the mainstay of conventional antibiotics, in case they have a, a bacterial co-infection of ampicillin and amikacin. We use a short course. We'll talk about that when we talk about stewardship later on. We use cotrimoxazole, intravenous cotrimoxazole. We've also, in our center, published work on the use of steroids in this condition, and there's no increase in mortality related either to the organism per se or the associated co-infection with CMV. It doesn't make a difference whether you use steroids. It doesn't make a difference to mortality by using steroids. In fact, the steroids significantly improve survival. And then I'll tell you about the major associated co-infection, which is CMV. And because of our understanding of CMV, we've added Ganciclovir on admission to all of these children up front. And we stop it then only if we identify that these children do not have CMV disease. Now, we have arbitrarily, based on the oncology, oncology literature, decided that to call CMV disease when you have a CMV viral load in your blood of more than 10,000 copies per mil. There's no good evidence that that stands the test of time in respiratory disease, but we've used the oncology extrapolation and it seems to to pan out. So when you have 10,000 copies per mil of CMV viral load, then we extend the GanCyclovirve for at least three weeks after the initiation of antiretrovirals. And what you can see is that CMV remains the major cause of mortality in this syndrome. The presence or absence of uh, pneumocystis, the presence or absence of other bacteria, the presence or absence of viruses do not influence the mortality. It's the presence of CMV disease that influences mortality. You can see when you have CMV disease, you are significantly more likely to die from this syndrome. And that, of course, is despite the use of ganciclovir up front in our uh, protocol and Interestingly enough, the fact that the ganciclovir costs us a significant amount of money, I'm not sure that you're aware of how much wastage there is with ganciclovir when it's used because the vial has a very short half-life once reconstituted, and so a lot of it is wasted. And so you can see the cost of a course for a child who has pneumocystis uh, uh, a pneumonia with CMV can be in the order of nearly 300,000 rand for that process, for that um, um, management strategy. So despite the fact that we use GanCyclovir initially and it costs, it's costly, we still have significant mortality from this condition. So we've asked ourselves and we asked ourselves at the time point whether it was in fact beneficial to be continuing to use GanCyclovir or managing CMV if, many, if CMV significantly affected uh, mortality. What, what the reason is for this phenomenon, we're not 100% sure. It's probable that CMV changes the disease profile, changes the pattern of ARDS, and may in fact form a more significant form of fibrotic lung disease by the time of presentation. But whatever the the case, we find that CMV is the cause of mortality. So we asked ourselves, should we actually continue to use GAN And what we did is we plotted the three South African studies that had used, that had identified pneumocystis pneumonia uh, and had intervened in, in the management of pneumocystis pneumonia based on CMV. And what you can see is very interestingly that in the two centers and the two studies where GAN was used, either extensively or to some extent, the mortality is significant lower, l- lower than the middle study, where GanCyclover was not used on any of the patients with PC, PCP. And so this changed our belief that we should stop using GanCyclover to continue to manage with this antibiotic. So based on th- that initial data I showed you, our survival in 2009, based on all the experiments and all the things we did, was about 70 percent. So we got it down from 100 percent mortality to 70% survival, 30% mortality. And we were very proud of our figures. We had some discussion at previous Congresses asking how we could get the mortality even lower, and we were told that the answer lies in oscillation of those children. Well, we opted not to, to oscillate these children, but to do one additional thing, which was the early introduction of antiretrovirals in the ICU. So that's what we in fact did after the initial data. And you can see now our survival is 82%. So we've been able to take up our survival to 82%. Only 18% of children with this devastating condition now die. And really the only thing we've recently reintroduced is the early use of AOVs in the ICU. So just to show you now, with a very low mortality, it's very difficult to show which strategy actually works because the numbers are now small. So you can see that none of the actual data points uh, predict mortality any longer. Even the use of antiretrovirals, because the patient numbers are so small, very difficult to prove is the, the improvement in survival. But nevertheless, based on the package we're now achieving, management strategies, fluid volume, antibiotic use, and management of CMV, as well as early antiretrovirals, we've achieved a, a better outcome. So just two words then on uh, very severe pneumonia and the children admitted to to hospital, HIV-infected children admitted to intensive care with very severe pneumonia. Uh, Remember, still in our setting, HIV infection forms the backbone of a lot of the pneumonia that we see. Uh, About two-thirds of children admitted to our hospital uh, with pneumonia are HIV infected. It's still a major burden in the community. The vast majority, of course, of children with pneumonia, as we know, are under one year of age so it's really again a disease of infancy. What's really important to understand is that resource utilization in the intensive care is not significantly higher. You can see that the length of stay whether you're admitted to the ward or to the intensive care is about the same in terms of the number of days. So there's not a significant increase in length of stay or cost if you're admitted to intensive care with ordinary pneumonia. And of course we, we've identified and you're probably aware of this, that the cost of managing pneumonia in the South African context is particularly high if we were truly able to cost the management of the disease. Because our state sector is is subsidized in many respects, we underestimate the cost of pneumonia. And so what this led to is us being able to work out that in terms of prevention strategies for pneumonia, which is simple, vaccination and use of antiretrovirals based on maternal antiretrovirals, or the PMTC program, saves at least $2 for every $1 spent on the management of pneumonia. All right, and then the last point I want to make is about bronchiolitis, and this is something that we've extended our work on, and and, um, Salome Abbott, who worked with me, who's now in Vancouver, uh, did the uh, analysis of our bronchiolitis data. And it's very interesting that we found two important phenomena in terms of bronchiolitis in HIV-infected children. Infancy that an HIV-infected child would develop bronchiolitis as compared to the HIV-uninfected. And these are two bits of data which have been substantiated now in additional and ongoing studies, and we are waiting to to have those published. So let me just conclude what I've said, that PCP is still occurring. You can see that uh, we've analyzed our data up until 2012 now, and we still have children with PCP admitted to the ICU. It's a shame and it's a disgrace as it speaks to our uh, PMTC program. But severe pneumonia is truly costly, uh, whether it be PCP pneumonia or not. PCP, uh, pneumonia in HIV-infected children is costly, and prevention would be significantly cost-effective. Severe pneumonia, of course, can be prevented, and prevention is, of course, what we should be achieve, uh, still uh, trying to achieve, and preventing PCP is certainly cost-effective, because PCV, PCP management, as you see, is an expensive entity. We've now just also discovered that our antiretroviral program in the HIV-infected children, and I didn't mention this to you, is not without cost in its own right. And we're starting to see CMV iris emerging in some of these individuals as a a consequence. And this is a new syndrome that we're starting to describe. Bronchiolitis is not common in our HIV-infected children for a reason that we're uncertain of, but certainly when it occurs, it occurs in older infants than the HIV-uninfected children. And we truly believe that these data points, these bits of information, should now start to to make their way into national uh, and, and African guidelines for the management of children with pneumonia and very severe pneumonia. Thank you very much for your time and your attention, and let me just thank my team who do much of the work that I've shown you today, thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide.